We've been in a series, if you're here just for tonight and you haven't been a part of it, it's been called the Realms of Glory. And we've been going through the different realms that are described in the Christmas story. The first realm that we took a look at was the realm of heaven. And we just walked through the incredible nature of the universe and uh, the miraculous things that are plugged into place that make it what it actually is and that uh, it can sustain life. And then we went through the realm of earth. Uh, As I mentioned this morning, something we're very familiar with. We walk on it every day. And sometimes we're so familiar, we don't pay attention, don't hardly see it anymore. Although certain little things, like some snow on Christmas Eve, tend to bring the wonder back, doesn't it? Yeah, we like that a lot. And then this morning we looked at the nature of the spirit world. And we talked about how God intervened and the different ways he intervened. And we talked about Gabriel, one of his highest angels, who was sent on assignment to speak to a number of different people, Zechariah, Mary, and Joseph, uh, and letting them know that this was of God. And so we've looked at those different realms. Tonight we'd like to just take a short look uh, together about the realm of the Savior, because it's a unique realm, and uh, it's a realm unto itself. Oops, i got to turn this on. There we go. There we go. In Luke 2, we read, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Probably some of the most famous words in the history of the world and in the history of literature, written down, uh, known by multiple, multiple generations. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, that would be Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Certainly, just from history alone, we know that this is no ordinary child. We know that uh, this birth has been remembered. And the title of Christ to his name is no little attachment. It's not been attached to anybody else other than some imposters down through history. Let's take a look at this title, Christ, because it's so familiar to us. We say the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's like a name, right? Like Steve Mitchell's, and that would be my name, and Jesus Christ, that's his name. And, uh, and you think of it that way, but really, it's a little bit different than that. Christ is Greek for the Hebrew word Messiah. All right, so Christ and Messiah are the same. So really what they're saying is Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah. Another way to interpret that would be Jesus the Savior. And this title has uh, the fulfillment of three governing roles uh, in, in, this, in the use of this wordage. The first is, uh, put the first one up here, is a prophet. Jesus was a prophet in the line of Moses. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses said that God would provide a prophet like him, although greater than him, and he would be the one that the nation would listen to. And so many uh, looked to Moses as the prototype of this Messiah that was to come. Of course, you know the story of Moses, right? He came, the ten plagues, the journey through the Red Sea, and the wanderings through the wilderness. A prophet like that was going to arise. And so the title of prophet was attached to Jesus because he was in that role. The second one was the title of priest. 
Not in the Aaronic line. Uh, that was the whole uh, the law. And keep it. But this was in the line of Melchizedek. And you have to go back into Genesis and know the story of where Abraham went out and rescued his uh, nephew Lot from some kings. And when he came back, this priest Melchizedek came out and blessed Abraham. And God said that this Messiah would be in the line and the order of Melchizedek. And in that sense, as a priest, Jesus is greater than even Melchizedek. Uh, we're not that familiar with a priest because we don't come from a Catholic background. That word's an unusual word for us. But a priest is one who stands in between and mediates between man and God and arbitrates for the people. And Jesus is our mediator. It says he is meeting or intervening or interceding for us up in heaven at the throne right now, this second, as we sit right here. He's a great champion to have on our side. And then the third role is that of king. All right. He was also in the line of David. Both his mom and dad, Joseph and Mary, came down through the Davidic line uh, on different sides. And so Jesus was in the line of David. And um, Psalm 2 talks about this and says that he was actually greater than David. Here's Psalm 2. It says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. By the way, this is not unique to this era. It goes on today right now. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, and I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled, and blessed are all who take refuge in Him. I want to focus just a little bit on that phrase, kiss the Son, lest He be angry with you and you perish in His way. The signature movement of somebody approaching a king was that the king would always have on his hand a signet ring. The signet ring was unique to that king. And all transactions, uh, all agreements, all covenants were signed with a wax seal from that king's ring. And when you saw the seal, you knew it was the king. And one of, when one approached the king, the king would be standing or sitting. He would hold out his hand and the person would come and kneel before the king and kiss the ring. It was a sign of submission. It was a sign of homage. And it was a sign of authority. And once you acknowledge the king, and if you acknowledge the king in a proper way, then you could have a hearing in the court of the king. This is what Psalm 2 is talking about. Jesus is so unique in the fact that he is the only person on earth who ever fulfilled all three offices in one person. Some were priests, some were prophets, some were kings, 
Some were priests and kings. Some were kings and prophets. But nobody had ever fulfilled all three roles. And in Jesus, all three roles are fulfilled. The great prophet, priest, and king. In Jesus' lifetime, he would fulfill 332 distinct predictions found in the Old Testament. You can look them up. It takes a long time to read them. But for tonight and our purposes, let's just look at eight. All right? Let's just look at eight major predictions. You say, what's so unique about Jesus? Come on. There's a lot of holy men. There's a lot of holy people. There's a lot of other uh, guys. There are very few that claim to be God. Buddha, for example, never claimed to be God. Muhammad never uh, proclaimed to be God. But Jesus openly proclaimed God. And there were eight major predictions that happened that set the seal on that. Prediction number one, he would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7.14. We've walked through that tonight. You've heard them read that. And behold, the virgin will be a child. And we will call his name Emmanuel. Jesus fulfilled that in the New Testament. Secondly, he would be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the town, the city of David the king. And scripture says that that's where he would be born. You know the story well. Up in Nazareth is where Mary and Joseph lived. And as the census took place, they had to come back to the town of their birthright, which was Bethlehem. Number three, he'd be tempted by Satan. If you read Psalm 91, verses 10 and 2, it talks about how the Messiah would be tempted. And we know in the New Testament, right after his announcement that he has arrived, he was taken out in the desert and tempted for 40 days. He was also betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And Zechariah, you can read that story, and then later that's carried out with Judas, who agreed for a price of 30 pieces of silver that he would betray the Son of God and turn him over to the Pharisees and the ruling authority. Number five, the prediction in Isaiah 53 verses 1 and verse 3, that he'd be rejected by his own people. That the very people he came to save, the very people he belonged to, would reject him and cast him out. Number six, he would be tried and condemned. And of course, we know that story well. We're welcoming the anniversary. We're celebrating the anniversary of his arrival. We know all too soon we swing around through spring and we come to Easter. I think Christmas is easier just because it's a baby, right? There's something fresh. There's something new about a baby. It's only when we grow up we get into trouble, right? That, that's true of Jesus too. The story changes quite a bit once he becomes an adult. And he wasn't everybody's favorite. Those who resisted God had a tough time with him. He would die by crucifixion. Uh, if you read Psalm 22 and Zechariah 12, some very powerful verses that are... Uh, way before Jesus' time. It should be mentioned that most of these predictions uh, existed 700 years before Jesus ever showed up. Some of them almost a 1,000 years. And then lastly, he would rise from the dead. Of course, that's the great uh, celebration point. We know this is the coming. We celebrate the coming because we know what he would do for us. We know what he'd carry out. We know what he would proclaim. And so these eight predictions... Uh, a person put out um, a wager for a million dollars if anybody could fulfill in their life 
these eight predictions. That money has never been claimed. Right? It's kind of a cool thing. Now, these are not, again, all the predictions. They're just running quickly over them. But having these all fulfilled by one person, what's the probability of that, right, math people? The probability of one person filling out just these eight, okay, is 10 to the 157th power. Now, stop and think about that. When we were doing um, the realm of heaven and the realm of earth, we... In the awe series, we saw that anything beyond 10 to the 37th power is basically negligible. It can't happen. It can't be chance. Right? It's just the margin's too small. 10 to the 37th power is like, it's for for sure thing because it can't possibly otherwise be. So just multiply that by 10 to the 157th power. It's the great underlying statement of history. There's no chance left in the equation. We know who it is that we're worshiping tonight. We know who it is who we're giving honor to. We know who it is that we're celebrating. And we know for certain that what he said was true. I'm going to ask the guys to come forward right now and uh, we're going to uh, light candles. One of the things that's uh, appropriate as we tie a bow on the package tonight is a word that we don't use very much anymore. But it's the word reverence. Is my Cameron, is my nativity scene up there? It disappeared. It's gone. Okay. Just imagine there's a nativity scene up there. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Yeah, come on up. Worship team, you can come up too. Get ready. Be careful. No sword fights. One of the words that we don't use a lot anymore is reverence. Um, There's not a lot of things that are reverent in our culture or our society. There's not a lot of things that we pay great honor to. But it's it's an old word that means a lot. It means you come with respectful awe. Honor is given to whom honor is due. If I just said to you tonight, who in your world is worthy of honor? Or maybe another way to ask it, who or what do you give honor to? It's an important question. And tonight what we want to do is really anchor down. Tonight we're celebrating the anniversary of when Jesus was a baby. Unassuming, vulnerable, Utterly approachable and yet powerful and great all at the same time. Herod would sniff out the greatness and the threat and seek his life in the next year and a half. He knew who he was dealing with and he was determined to end the threat. But here's the miraculous point He came. He came to rescue, He came to find. He came to adopt. Many of us are adopted children by that Lord Jesus who came. Our families here at Norfolk who have adopted know what it's like to fly to a far country to adopt their children. And they will tell you that there are not words that can adequately capture all of that, of what that experience means to them. They can talk around it. They can tell you what it's like, sort of, 
but they can't fully express really what's in their heart. And I think sometimes that's really true of us as humans. We know what we want to say, we just don't know how to say it. The same with Jesus. As you look on the screen right now, he has no words. He will have words later, but right now we worship him just for who he is and not what he's done. As we close out tonight, we have lit candles. Parents, if you've got younger kids, they've got glow sticks. The candles represent that Jesus is the light, but it's also a picture of if it were a dark night and there were no lights and the angel came and talked to us, we would probably light a candle and walk to this manger scene to see if what the angel had told us was true. The worship song, Light of the World, you shine down into darkness. Open our eyes, let us see. Beauty that has made this heart adore you, all for our sake became poor. One of the most significant moments in the history of the world. Will you rise and let us close out the service together in worship?